Okay, the book of Galatians, if you want to go to Galatians chapter number 1, I just want to mention one other thing here uh, that um, uh, some of you, of course, have been praying for us as a team. We've been out, uh, we've had 12 different war special forces this fall, as well as some other things like the Warmax and things like that, and uh, started somewhere mid-August and just finished it, uh, our tour just a couple of days ago, about a week ago, and uh, we uh, as a team were extremely encouraged. Definitely every week's a battle. Every week you have to see God break through, but some wonderful victories. And I really do appreciate your prayers. I don't have time to go into every week, but uh, the Lord just many weeks just saw God break through in just remarkable ways. And so it was a very encouraging uh, tour and the team uh, got along, which is a miracle in and of itself. So um, we were grateful for that. And uh, so I, uh, in fact, um, it's interesting how the Lord brings a team together. I just, it's actually will tie into the message a little bit, but uh, I uh, remember I was coming into July and had, uh, you know, looked like the team was set except for one spot, and it's a very particular spot I needed. I needed someone a little bit older, and uh, I was uh, uh, just kind of weighing through some of the possibilities. Some I checked with did not work out, and I remember uh, just, uh, can't remember exactly how, somebody suggested Matt Kelly. I'd always, in a certain sense, had Matt on my radar screen, but I figured, well, he's headed to missions. He's got his own you know, agenda that's not, that's not going to work. Well, with COVID, everything's changed, particularly with missions guys, what they can do, what they can't do. And so I called him up fully expecting him to be in a foreign country. I didn't know where he was. And uh, he had just had a mission trip fall through for the fall. And I uh, mentioned traveling. He said, you know, I've always wanted to travel. I think the Lord's in this. And God clearly led. India was closed at the time. He could not get into India. That's where he believes God has called him. And I uh, said, so I think this is uh, part of God's holding pattern for me to be involved in this. And so uh, God brought him aboard. And uh, it was wonderful to work with Matthew. Got to know him in a way that um, I had not before. And uh, so just it's interesting to see how the Lord just work things together and brings the right people at the right time. And so uh, I'd say it was just a very exciting time, and I'm just grateful for God's leadership. And so, um, but anyway, so I just want to give you that update because I know some of you are praying for us, and from time to time, uh, if the Lord ever puts a burden in your heart, there's probably a reason why. I remember years ago when we were in ministry out of Bob Jones University, this would be probably back in the 90s. I remember one night we were in uh, Fort Dollardale, Florida, and one of those storms came in. If you've never been to Florida, you don't know what I'm talking about. But Florida is the lightning capital of the world. Uh, and Tampa is the lightning capital of Florida. Okay, that's why their hockey team is called the Tampa Bay Lightning, in case you didn't know that. But anyway, uh, so one of those storms came in. They got thunderbolts going everywhere. And of course, you know, here we got 100 plus kids, you know, and and I mean, we, we had to you know, come underneath overhangs and the team captains were trying to get their team to cheer. And it was just one of those nights that was just seemed to be a total disaster. <laughs> then we get in the room, the lightning hits and the power goes out. You know, it was just, well, right in the middle, I think, of the gospel message, it was just guys had to bring in one of the lights. And it was just one of those nights that you would think nothing would happen. But I remember at the end of that night, I was sitting in a closet with counseling a bunch of kids, two big old guys, 250 pounds, uh, were sitting there weeping as they came to Jesus and got saved. And uh, it was just a, you know, one of those nights where God just showed up. You're thinking, how did that happen? Found out later that very night, some of the guys who traveled in the past who were uh, students at Bob Jones at the time, again, this was a long time ago, about uh, 30 years ago, but uh, several of those guys got together and says, I don't know what, but I'm burdened to pray for the Minutemen team. I think we need to pray. I don't know why. And several of them got together and were praying while we were going through all of that. And so you never know when God lays a heart, uh, you're on your heart to pray for somebody, pray. You have no idea what may be 
uh, going on at that very moment and how much they need those prayers. So, uh, so anyway, just do appreciate your prayers. Those that uh, do pray for us from time to time, we're certainly grateful for it. Okay, Galatians chapter number one, and God began to burden my heart on something here and uh, several things that have happened over the last few months. And uh, God, by the way, I'll of course be working with you evangelist, Brother Miller. We want to say thank you for helping us with the ministry of the evangelist, and we'll have a little bit more uh, time in that class here coming up. So I'll probably say a few more things to the evangelist guys. But, you know, I was talking to Caleb Reed last night, and I said, one thing about an evangelist, you've got to have a fire burning on something. You know, what fires you up? I mean, there's got to be something burning. And if you don't have a fire burning in your heart, then what in the world are you going to preach? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I preach? Things are burning in my heart. And so God began to burn in my heart some things here. We're going to just uh, deal with some of these issues. I want to preach, a, most likely, unless the Lord directs otherwise, a two-part message on the symptoms of performance-based Christianity. The symptoms of performance-based Christianity. Now, the book of Galatians, some of you heard Brother Bosler earlier on this summer, uh, this uh, beginning of the school year, deal with performance-based Christianity. I thought that was an interesting way to put it works-based Christianity. And uh, I want us to give some symptoms out of the book of Galatians because honestly many of you know that works-based sanctification is not biblical. Okay, it's a false gospel. You get saved by trusting Jesus. You get sanctified by trusting Jesus. You get saved by trusting Jesus to do a miracle. You live the Christian life by trusting Jesus Christ to do miracles. Okay, it's the point is it's a life of dependence. But I don't know about you. If you've ever lived the Christian life any length of time, you probably learned this. There's a human default to flesh dependence. Have you ever noticed that? There's something, my friend, in you that wants to go back to work sanctification, that wants to go back to performance-based Christianity. And I want to give you some symptoms that you're in performance-based Christianity out of the book of Galatians, and we'll walk through this. Now, you have to understand that performance-based Christianity has two different sides to it. The first side is what you think of, okay, trying to do things to be a good Christian, do things so people think, you know, I'm checking the list, I'm a great Christian. Okay, but there's another side to it, and that is not doing things to show people you're a good Christian. Okay, I know that sounds funny, but you don't live in that kind of world, but there's a non-performance-based Christianity. In other words, the more things you don't do, the more spiritual you are. In other words, uh, the more rocky your music, the more dark your auditorium, the more black paint in your auditorium, the more man buns you have uh, beating blow, you know, boards, the more spiritual you are. In other words, the more rules you throw out are the more spiritual you are. That's what I would call performance-based Christianity, because it's all based, again, on what you're doing or not doing, okay? And that is what, when one side is flesh dependence, the other side is flesh indulgence. And the book of Galatians deals with them both, because they're both flesh. Now, Pastor didn't mean to, but he actually gave an introduction to the message yesterday. Did you know that? He actually ended up where we're, uh, or started where we're going to end up in Galatians 6, 7. Because the Bible does say, that if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. And I'm going to tell you, friends, you can just mark it down. I see both excesses today uh, that are performance-based Christianity. They're based on what you're doing or not doing. And those uh, obviously uh, does not cut it, okay? Whatever list you check. You know, every single group you're with has a list you can check, okay? Some of the loosey-goosey ones are more, you know, how many uh, lines you, how many, how many uh, little barriers you push that makes you more cutting edge, so to speak, more in, so to speak. And that certainly is a part of, but it's all performance-based, okay? It's all based on what somebody's doing or not doing. And uh, so that's, that's all flesh, 
And so we could say it, uh, the symptoms of flesh-oriented Christianity. When you get the flesh involved in the deal, what does it look like? So I want to just walk through this and hopefully be a help to you because some of you need to understand the symptoms. Now it's very interesting and this last three years dealing with the issues of moral purity, particularly in the viewing arena, it's been interesting with some of the guys that I've been talking to and working with and some of the guys that are getting in sustained victory have very clearly pointed out to me that a failure in viewing filth does not begin a second before you fail, it usually begins hours before where you make a decision to move into either flesh dependence or flesh indulgence. And when you do, it's a matter of time before you get back in your bad habit. Are you with me on this? Okay, so this is a huge issue. Many of those guys say, if we're not vigilant hours before, then we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Okay, so it's very important for understand some of the symptoms of performance-based Christianity and see if that happens to be where you are. Okay, now let's go to Galatians 6. Of uh, chapter 1, excuse me, 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some which trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Those of you that have heard me preach out of Galatians know that as I go through that verse, there's two different words for another. You probably know that now. So another gospel is a different gospel. It's, it's another of a different kind, where the second another is another of the same kind. So the gospel that Paul is going after is a different gospel. It's a heteros gospel. It's a false gospel, which is not the same. Okay, he's saying it's different. And that word pervert has the idea of turning to the opposite. So, the thing we know about a false gospel, it is opposite of the true gospel. Everything the true gospel is, it's opposite. So, it really is fairly easy to identify because it is opposite. Okay, so it's like this. The Holy Spirit drives the true gospel. The flesh drives the false gospel. Uh, it's like works are the means of the false gospel and faith is the means of the true gospel. Okay, you get this? The law is what you're after in the false gospel, and grace is what you're after in, the, in what I call the divine means in the true gospel. And the list could go on. We could talk about this. Bondage is a result of the false gospel. Liberty is a result of the true gospel. And you've seen that on PowerPoints, those of you who've been around for a while, and understand that. So, under just talking about performance-based Christianity for a moment, let's look at some of the symptoms. Because sometimes the symptoms are a little more subtle than you realize and they help you. Okay, number one, the number one symptom is you care too much what people think. You care too much for what people think. I want to ask you a question. When you run for an office in a fellowship and you miss it, how do you respond to that? Do you go around depressed for three days? You're in performance-based Christianity. If you thank God, God, that must have been your will, I'm okay with that then you're probably in, uh, in, in faith-based Christianity. You with me on this? If you didn't get the part you wanted in a Christmas carol and you bummed out about it, it indicates you're in performance-based Christianity. If you complained to other people about a part you didn't get or something you wanted to do, then you're in performance-based Christianity because you care too much what people think. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, you, you evangelist. One of the problems being evangelist is this. My dad used to say this, is you become a hero. Now, I don't look at myself as a hero at all. I don't wear capes, etc., and I don't, certainly don't fly. But I will tell you this. Uh, I will tell you an evangelist will get more compliments, generally speaking, than a pastor. I get compliments all the time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've learned for years. I'm not saying that they can't turn my head. Don't get me wrong. Any, all of us are flesh, and certainly a compliment is a very, uh, how do I say this, precarious moment when you get complimented. 
And some of you guys out on deputation, if you flat out have to know how to preach, you know what I'm talking about. You get compliments afterwards. It's really embarrassing when you're standing next to the pastor, some dear old lady comes by and said, man, I haven't heard preaching like that in years. I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, don't say that. You just killed my love offering. Why did you say that? No, I'm just teasing you. That's called evangelist speak. Okay, Brother Miller knows what I'm talking about. I'm just being honest with you. Okay, I'm teasing about that. Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, uh, but the point is, you get complimented all the time. I was just walking out of a Christmas carol. People stopped me and said, Brother Van Gilder, we listen to your preaching all the time. And we're so blessed by it, and et cetera, et cetera. And you know what I've learned by that? I've learned that if you take that seriously, you're in trouble. Let me just tell you this. I do not live for people's uh, adulation. I do not live for people to, uh, to express their appreciation about my preaching. You know why? Because if I did, I'd be in trouble. Do you know what I live for? I live for walking out of the pulpit and getting alone with God and God's Holy Spirit telling me that's exactly what you should have preached and I'm pleased with what you just did. Listen, I'm going to tell you, if God's pleased with what I preach, can I say this as carefully as I know how? It really doesn't matter what other people think. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad when people are helped. And I'm glad when people express their, their appreciation. I am glad of all that. But it's extremely dangerous for every young preacher in this room. You need to understand that's a dangerous moment because if you start living for that, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You have got to live for the audience of one. You have got to live for His praise. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, if people came to me that I had respect for and were concerned about something I was preaching, I would certainly uh, you know, look into that, check it out theologically. I'm not talking about being immune of criticism. But honestly, praise and criticism are those things would come. Honestly, as an evangelist, I've had some criticism. And uh, sometimes it kind of comes out of the blue, and it's not always easy to take. But one of my first thoughts is, is there any truth in that? Is there anything God wants me to learn from that? Maybe it wasn't given with the right spirit. Maybe it had a little bit of the hiss of serpent in it. But is there anything God wants me to learn from that criticism? The point I'm making is simply this. Uh, we're not living to please men. Now, here's the point. Obviously, you're in a place where you have tutors, you have um, teachers, you have those that you are uh, trying, to do, uh, you know, trying to do well in classes, and it's always good when you get a commendation, you know, it's a good speech or that or that. Here's the point. Those are great things, and you certainly should want to please those that are educating you. I'm not saying that, but here's the point. The real audience you're after is pleasing God. You want to please them because it pleases God. See, that's the point. If you're after just the praise of men, not, no thought about whether it pleases God, you are in huge trouble. Now, again, let me go to the verse. I got ahead of myself, got, got burdened there, but let's, uh, let's go there in verse number 10. He says, For do, not, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, notice what it says, I should not be the servant of Christ. Do you know why many people get into doctrinal error? I'm going to tell you why. Because they care more of what people think than they do what God thinks. Listen, there will be times in the ministry when you will feel like you are in the minority. And taking the position you take is not going to be, uh, how do I say this, it's not going to be politically advantageous. And I'm using the word politically in ecclesiastical sense. There's times when you're going to take a stand for God and you're going to realize this is going to cost me. Now, I've learned something about convictions. I grew up in a conservative home. My parents had a lot of convictions, and many of those convictions I have embraced. And in many cases, I actually ended up being stricter than my parents. Uh, and, and I think all of us did to some degree or another. But uh, I will say this about, about life. You really don't have a conviction. Now, how do I say this? Uh, maybe this isn't coming out right. But you really don't have a conviction until you pay a price for it. And every time I paid a price for something I believed, I realized I really believe that. Because I'm not giving up on that. That's important to me. And I'm not going to surrender that, whatever the issue might be. 
But obviously here the Apostle Paul uh, realized that one of the reasons these false teachers were making hay in Galatians is because the Galatian churches got away from faith-based Christianity into performance-based Christianity. And when you do that, you become concerned what people think of your performance. You're, you really want people to really think you're something in your Christian life or whatever you're doing. And I just want you to understand it's subtle. But perhaps some of the things we've talked about in the past with some of the issues that can be bad habits that can be growing up can, be, can happen as a result of different things that happened. You can become too concerned about what people think. I, uh, I was certainly, uh, I've brought this book along, uh, Ed Nelson's book. I'm going to just a moment read a passage out of it. How many have read this, by the way? How many have read now? Okay, if you haven't, you need to get it and read it, particularly if you're going to be a pastor or even a pastor's wife. I will give this little plug for the book. If you read this book, you will have an understanding. Baptist College of Ministry will make more sense to you. And the reason I say this is the vein of the independent Baptist movement that this school came out of came out of the same vein that Dr. Nelson was in. And I read, read this, I don't know how to explain it. I was reading this book and I could smell it, okay. It was like, oh, that reminds me when I was a kid. I could just feel it again. I could just, I don't know how to explain it. It was just like the whole aura of my growing up came back to me. And it was a tremendous blessing to me. So I encourage you to get the book, especially you pastors. It'll encourage you to help you understand pastoral ministry. Even you evangelists, they had some moments where God really blessed Brother Nelson, and it is a great encouragement. But um, certainly, one thing I got from Brother Nelson's biography is there are many times he took a stand that was not popular. In fact, his dear uh, had an uncle who sent him $250 a month. Now, if you don't think that's very much money, go back about four decades, that's a lot of money. Sent him $250 a month. He took a stand on the Billy Graham issue, and his uh, uncle wrote him and said, I'm not, no longer going to support you. I disagree with your stand. And uh, so Ed Nelson took many stands that cost him. He took one stand, the Billy Graham stand. Ten families walked out of his church, and his church wasn't very big at that time. There was more than once Ed Nelson took a stand on an issue, and he lost people out of his congregation because he took a stand. But you can read in the book, you can tell he was gracious, he was kind, he had a sweet spirit, he's not bitter, but he is not regretting the fact he took a stand because he believed it was of God. Here's the point. If you're trying to please God and you believe you have pleased God, it really doesn't matter what people think. (laughs) If you don't settle that, gang, you're in trouble. You mark my words. Kids that compromise many times leave here without that issue settled. They are still, unfortunately, in their life, still driven uh, to get the praise of men. They want that adulation. They want that that, uh, compliment, whatever it might be. And I want to tell you, friends, again, it's not wrong to get compliments. And thank God when you get them. But the point is, your real issue ought to be, Lord, thank you for what you did. Thank you for enabling me. Thank you for the fact you touched that life and that message. I know it was you, God. You give the praise back to the Lord. Have you ever wondered why there in the book of Revelation, the people will cast their crowns back to the Lord Jesus? You ever thought about that? I'll be honest with you. When I was a selfish little kid, I said, oh, that's a bummer, man. You have to throw my crown back. You know you know how it is as a little kid, you know, when you uh, just, uh, you know how it is back when you were a kid, you got a shiny penny and uh, somebody offered to give you a dime for the shiny penny. No way, man, this is shiny. I'm not taking that dirty dime. Uh, you know how it is back when you didn't understand things like that. Uh, but uh, uh, when our in our little, uh, but that's that's a really limited thing. You know, I really come to realize. You know why we're going to cast our crowns back to the Lord? I'll tell you why. Because that crown will be completely the Lord Jesus enabling and doing in our life, and so we'll be thinking, Lord, this isn't mine anyway. You did it, and we'll throw it back at His feet. 
It was George Whitfield who put it this way, isn't it amazing that everything I do will be burned up at the judgment seat, but everything God does through me will last. Isn't that amazing? See, see that's the point of what, that I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand. Don't live for the praise of men. Live for His praise. Now, I want to ask you, what are you living for? Do you live for the praise of men? Do you live for that? Or are you living for His commendation? And it is certainly an important thing we need to understand. Now, one of the things that the Apostle Paul mentions here that I feel is very interesting, uh, notice what he says here. Uh, let me see. In um, Let's come back here. Trying to find the exact verse. Okay, verse number 16. Well, let's start in verse 15. But when it pleased God, notice that phrase, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. See, that's the key. It's the re revealing of Jesus in us. That's what pleases God. That I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I confer not with flesh and blood. Now, one of the applications here of this pleasing men is this. It's your call on your life. It's your call on your life. I remember back when I was just... Um, 16 years old, some of you have heard me tell this story, I won't go for the full story, but I remember after being at Pastor Van Gelderen's ordination down in Greenville, South Carolina, God was bearing hard on my spirit and I knew I needed to surrender to the call to preach. I probably should have surrendered down there in South Carolina, but I made a deal with God, that's not always a good thing, but I made a deal with God and said, God, I really don't want to surrender down here when nobody knows me. I'll first promise your first service back to the Marquette Manor Baptist Church, my home church, I'll walk that aisle. Well, anyway, I came back and I'll never forget the that message my dad preached. I didn't hear a thing he preached because I wrestled with God the entire message. And I made a promise to God, I'm going to be honest with you, it may be funny to you, but I had a little small concordance in the back of my Bible at the time. And I looked up the word vow and read every verse of Scripture on a vow while my dad was preaching to see if there was any catch, any way I could get out of it. And uh, I finally concluded it's a pretty bad deal if you don't keep your promises. And uh, so I came down the aisle I came. And uh, I remember grabbing my dad's hand and uh, tears of course began to course down my cheeks. And I will never forget what my dad said, never. When I said, Dad, I think God's calling me to preach. I will never forget it. It's me. It shocked me. He said, Jim, your mother and I have known it for a long time. We've been praying for you. And you know what my first thought was? Could have fooled me. <laughs> I had no idea. May I tell you, and I'm going to tell you this, do not miss this. I am not a mama called preacher, and I'm not a daddy called preacher. I'm a God called preacher. And I want to tell you, friends, I know God's called me to preach. I know God has called me. You say, well, didn't your mom and dad kind of set you up for the ministry? Absolutely. But you mark my words, if you're not called, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> See, God gifts the call. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God will give you supernatural enabling. You better know, my friend, deep down that you're called. Because if you are, don't worry about it. Um, I mean, hell cannot stop you from accomplishing the will of God if God's called you. Just follow God and God's call. Now, here's the thing. So, when it comes to God's call on your life, you have to understand, you need to know it. You need to know deep down. I remember uh, years back when Brother Bosler was a college student. How many knew Brother Bosler is a college student? Okay. Okay. So I just want to say, miracles are possible. Okay. But anyway, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. So, um, uh, but uh, back when he was a college student, uh, he was interested in missions. We talk a lot about missions, and I didn't really think about it. I, I just didn't really, I, it didn't strike me one way or the other. I probably, didn't really think about it that much. He just talked about missions. And I remember one day he called me up, or he talked to me in person, can't remember, but he said to me, he said, Brother Van Gelderen, he said, I've come to the conclusion, I think, I don't believe God had called me to missions. 
He said, I believe what God's called me to be is a youth evangelist. And I remember when he said that to me, it immediately resonated with me. I said, you know, Bob, I think you may be right. The amazing thing was he went to his dad and he sat down with his dad and he laid out what God had been doing in his heart. And here's what his dad said. And I get it, may not have all the facts right, but this is the gist of what his dad said. His dad said, Bob, I was always uncomfortable with what you said God would call you to do, but I did not want to interfere. He said, I've been praying about it. He said, youth evangelism, that's what I believe God's called you to do. Now, here's the point. Bob Bosser called to youth evangelism. I didn't call him. His dad didn't call him. God did. All we did was confirm it. You know what? I think you're on to something. I think you may be right. That's what God's called you to do. Now, friends, you see, you want to be a God-called man. And uh, if you're, if you're going to do something because other people want you to do it, you'll find that doesn't go very far. Remember years ago when I was uh, working, getting, trying to get Minutemen Ministries going, and I was trying to understand things, and I talked to different people about ministry, and, you know, other than yourself, you know, bigger ministry. And, and I remember, I can't remember who it was. I think it was either Ken Hay or Gordon Dixon, one of the two, said to me, now, Brother Van Gelder, remember something. Burden precedes program. Burden precedes program. And man, is that true. The point is, you'll never be able to see anything pulled off unless you get a burden for it. You get a burden for it, man, that, all about it. I got a burden years ago to be in Christian schools, 1994 to be exact. And I've been in Christian schools ever since. And do you know what? When I go into a Christian school, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm not doing it to make money, <laughs> believe me. Okay, I'm not doing it. I am not doing it for any other reason. I'm not doing it because I'm under pressure. I'm not doing it because people are forcing me to do it. I'm doing it because God has put a burden in my heart to do it, and He's called me to do it. And you know what? As a result of that, I love to do it. Absolutely love to do it. I don't do it by constraint. Here's the point, friends. One of the issues about pleasing men, you have to get down. You, when you get out here, now obviously you understand, while you're here as students, whatever, you say, what's the will of God for me? And the answer is, obey the handbook. That's the will of God for you right now. You with me on that? God called you here? Obey the handbook, okay? Don't say, I'll go to the dean of men and say, you know, I think God's called me to break this rule. No, I don't think that's going to cut it, okay? That's not going to work. That's not the way God works. Okay, so while you're here, your God's will is do the handbook. Your God's will is do the assignment sheet on time. That's God's will. You with me on that? Amen. Hallelujah. Glory. Ah, God, aren't you excited about this? You, you, you really, to be honest with you, being a college student was really easy. You know how, why it was? Because I knew what God's will was. All I had to do was open up and look at my assignment sheet. I knew what God's will was. All I had to do was open the handbook. I knew what God's will was. Being a college student was easy because God's will wasn't hard. But I will tell you, when I got out of school, you know what I had to do? I had to find out, God, what do you want me to do? What's the next step in my life? And you know what I found? God leads. And I look back, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the most glorious things I remember are when I was just fresh out of school. I mean, wet between the ears, I mean, between the ears and behind the ears, I was green as they come, man. I'm telling you, I, I was unbelievable. And yet God did miraculous things. And it will, the same thing will happen to you if you'll just follow the Lord. So the point is, find out what God wants you to do. And I'm just going to tell you, when you get a hold of God's will, not everybody will think it's, you know, God, you just have to be convinced in your own heart. Sometimes, you know, I, I, sometimes I was just talking with a young man. He believes he should go to Bible college. His daddy doesn't even believe he's saved. He's scared to death to talk to his dad about it. And, uh, but the bottom line is, and I, I, I realize in a moment I have to deal with the tension issue with you just real quickly. But bottom line is, you've got to do God's will and know you're doing God's will. Because sometimes it's not always easy. 
There's sometimes, it's just like when guys go on on Minutemen. I want them to know it's God's will. Why? Because when the alarm goes off at 5 o'clock, some of you guys are traveled, know what I'm talking about. It's not only, hallelujah, I'm in the will of God, this is great. No, it's kind of sometimes rough. You go out to a school, get a few turndowns, you've got to know God's called me to be here. You with me on this, friends? And God can give you that kind of assurance in your heart, and that's what life's all about. But performance-based Christianity is more concerned about doing so you can please men instead of doing so you can please God. Notice what Paul said, neither convert I with flesh and blood. Now, don't get me wrong. Flesh and blood can confirm, just like in the Bosler situation. Yeah, Bob, I think, that may, I think you're onto something here. His dad, yeah, Bob, that's exactly what I'm thinking too. But may I say this, that really when it came down to it, we didn't call Bob Bosler to youth evangelism, God did. All we did was confirm it. Listen, friends, I'm telling you, God will show you. God will show you what you're supposed to do in life. And you need to understand how important it is to find God's will and do it. Now, let me give you a tension issue because as, as college students, you're old enough to understand tension issues. Uh, when I was in uh, seminary, oh, God, don't you guys just love seminary? You've had to use parts of your brain you didn't know exist. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I remember back when I was a kid, go out for sports. I had muscles ache that I didn't even know I had. You know what I'm talking about? For about three days, I couldn't walk after the first uh, two-a-days in soccer. How many know what I'm talking about? Anybody like that? Not too many. Okay. If you have missed two-a-days, you have missed life. Okay. I, again, I had muscles hurting and I didn't even know we're in there. You know what I'm talking about. So, um, uh, but some of you seminary guys using parts of your brain you didn't know existed, right? Okay, that's the job of the seminary faculty behind you. And they have a sadistic glee in making that happen. Okay, so um, uh, just continue on, okay, on that. And uh, so um, don't get easy on Dr. Paul. Uh, just keep, keep on him. Okay, but, um, but I remember back when I was in seminary, I had a systematic theology teacher that taught me something that was absolutely helpful in my theology. It's what you might call tension theology. He pointed out that the Bible is full of paradoxes, tension, that cannot be resolved on the human level, but they are resolved on the divine level. And God's got it all figured out. One of those, of course, would be sovereignty and free will. One of those would be the fact the Bible says there's no temptation taking you. And at the same time, God says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. In theory, the Bible is teaching us that you could live a life and never sin. Yet the Bible says if you say you've never sinned, you deceive yourself. You see the tension there? See, these are, it's what I call tension between sinless perfectionism and sinful imperfectionism, okay? You've got the tension there that... Um, and the Bible, there's a resolution there in the Lord Jesus. And one of those is the authority principle and soul liberty. The authority principle and soul liberty. The authority principle, we all know what that is, that you obviously, you're, you are under the authority of different folks, your parents to start with, and then a college like this. And as I mentioned, that's why the rule book, assignment sheet are very important. That's part of God's will. But here's the thing I want you to understand, friends. Soul liberty is simply this. And there's many things you need to understand. Soul liberty is, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And when you leave this school, you have to understand you're going to make decisions that will affect your, your future. And they're very important decisions. And I'm telling you, you get out of the will of God, you're in trouble. You are in absolute trouble. And the point that I'm trying to emphasize now is the soul liberty side. Here's what I'm trying to avoid. What I've noticed over the last few years, probably the last 20 years, and I'm not throwing the homeschool movement totally under the bus. I know most of you came out of the homeschool movement. But one of the negatives of the homeschool movement is you have 25-year-old couch potatoes sitting on the couch waiting for daddy to tell them what to do. You know what I'm saying? My point is, friends, you better find out to hear the voice of God. You better learn what God wants you to do. 
And I want to tell you, I thank the Lord for my father who just coached me and transitioned me to learn to listen to the Lord and follow the Lord. And there was times where he made me make the decision. There were decisions he made early on, and I'm grateful he did. One of them was, I want you to go to this college. I want you to get a master's degree. I want you to do this. And I did whatever he told me to do. But you know, uh, as time was going on, uh, God, he, God began to make things clear to me. And that's an important part of your growth as a Christian, is finding out what God wants you to do. Now, let me just read this little illustration by... And Nelson, he was with a, he was with a well-known preacher. If you want to find out who it is, just get the book. But I won't mention the guy because I think this is recorded. Uh, but anyway, it says, um, and I just, uh, it's not worth, worth being controversial on this issue. Okay, it says, well, thank you, I replied. I'll pray about it and let you know. This pastor had asked him for some significant position. Oh, you don't need to pray about it, he immediately said. I already told you what to do. Nelson then writes, I should have immediately realized the danger and sin of what he had said. He was making himself to have more authority than God, but I did not. He said, I didn't realize the danger. He had the dangerous philosophy of, I told you what to do, so do it. You don't need to pray about it and ask God. He is telling what you to do through what I've said. And, of course, he pointed out that was a warning sign that he missed. It proved to be, uh, you proved that later on that, that he shouldn't have been listening to that guy. He had other issues in his life. So I want you to understand uh, pleasing men is the very first. We're going to tomorrow add some more, but I wanted to deal with this one because it's so important for you right now as college students to really determine this, who you're living for. Where are you getting your instructions for your future life? Well, yeah, and again, it's not wrong. The Bible says there is safety in the multitude of counselors. And so understand that it's not wrong to get counsel about people, but bottom line, you know what you do? You've got to do it because God's told you to do it. And God may and call you upon you to do some things that maybe are out of the box. You know, when I got out of college, there was no Minutemen Ministries. There was no war. There was no cola clash. None of that was done. It was all, it, there was no box. Nobody did anything like that. But God led step by step in miraculous ways. I don't have time to tell the full story. Maybe one day I'll tell the story. Because it is instructive. There's a lot of spiritual principles that came out of those early years. God, God developed a box that wasn't there, and I'll tell you why. Because He simply said, take this step, take this step, take that. I couldn't have seen at the beginning where I'd be 30, uh, 37 years later. But I will tell you, I wouldn't be here if God hadn't clearly led each step of the way. You with me on this? See, God will do the same for you. For some of you, there's going to be some unusual things God will lead you to do. But you better find out what God wants you to do. Now, on the other hand, if you're having spiritual godly people come to you with warnings, you need to take heed because you can be deceived. But the point is, once you learn the voice of the Spirit, it's a remarkable thing. Once you understand that. My dad was pastoring in Durango, Colorado, had been there for six years. He actually, uh, make a long story short, started the Calvary Baptist Church in town. Won't go into the details. If you can imagine a church plant in six years going from zero to 250, being the largest church on the western slope of Colorado, that's what happened in those six years, 60 to 66. It was a remarkable growth. And um, one day he was sitting in his study thinking, I've knocked on every door in this town. I don't know how many times. I think it was three times. I could be wrong about that. Personally, I think he'd knocked on every door uh, so many times. And uh, he said, I felt like, you know, maybe I'm at the end. And he said he picked up a paper or something, uh, one of those news type papers they used to have back then. I know you guys don't know what papers are, but anyway, that was kind of a news type paper. It was hard copy. I know this is a shock to you. But anyway, he picked up this hard copy and it mentioned that the pastor, Bryce Augsburger of the Market Manor Baptist Church, had left. And he said, the Holy Spirit immediately said to him, you're going to be the next pastor. He was absolutely shocked when he heard that another pastor had been called to that church. 
Uh, I thought, man, I thought for sure that was God. But then he said, the pastor turned it down. And he said, I think he told my mom, start packing, we're going to Chicago. And uh, sure enough, he got a call from the public committee and the rest is history. And we moved to Marquette Manor in 1966, my dad being a pastor. But I'll tell you, uh, moving to Chicago is not what most people want to do. Did you know that? And my mother, I think she, bless her heart, I mean, I'm, I'm glad she was a submissive wife because I'm sure that was not easy for her to go to Chicago. I know it wasn't. But the point was it was a very critical step in my dad's life and ministry. And some wonderful things ensued. But here's the point. You know why God did it, I believe, did it so clearly? It's because I knew there, there, were, gonna be some, there were battles and there were difficulties, but he deep down knew, God's called me here. God's called me here. I remember back in uh, 1998, I don't know how to explain this, I had everything made. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I was, uh, we were a ministry of a large institution, uh, we're my alma mater, and they were very good to us. And I don't know how to explain it, 1998, actually 97, God told me you need to leave and you need to leave now. I didn't have any reason why. I have to go into the talk to the, the, minister, the president of the institution and tell him I'm, I, I, God's constrained me to leave. And he says, is there any problem? Well, I said, well, there's things I disagreed with, but I've disagreed with them for 14 years. Those aren't the issues. Just God is pushing me out the door. They graciously helped launch us and don't go into the whole story. But for two years I was praying, God, where do you want us to go? I know you want us to go somewhere. Two years I prayed, two years. And uh, I don't know why, but in my human thinking, I was going to be Charlotte, it was going to be Greenville, or it was going to be Atlanta. I figured there's no way you can base out of the north. We're a youth ministry. We have our meetings in good weather. It just wouldn't make sense to base out of the north. In fact, during that time, we went up to Ann Arbor to visit my sister Joy at the time, and they had a blizzard. They had probably had three feet, and it was like, yep, nope, there's no way I'm coming to the north. There is no way. Uh, that's just not going to work. It will not work. And so I began to search, and I remember I had a meeting canceled, so I said, I'm going to go to my friend in Charlotte, the guy I graduated with, I'm going to go to his church. And I had met with a realtor, I mean, literally, we went out, and uh, he looked, we looked at different places, and, and I had no peace, I was in absolute misery. And I was sitting, I remember, uh, in that service, that's, I think it was Sunday night, I was sitting in that service, and I wasn't listening to his preaching either. I know that's a bad thing to admit, but I was wrestling with God. I guess if you're wrestling with God, it's okay not to listen to the preaching. But anyway, I was wrestling with God, and I'll explain it. Well, I said, God, what am I going to do? This isn't God's will. Where do I need to go? And it was as clear as a bell. It was not, uh, it was not out loud, but it would not have been clearer if it was. But the Spirit of God spoke to my spirit and said three words, just three words. Go to Milwaukee. It was as clear as a bell to me. And the moment I said, God, I'll do it, joy overflowed my heart. And I remember calling pastor, and he can tell you his part of the story. But my point is, I knew it was God's will. Now, when I got here, we bought a house. Guess what happened? The basement flooded. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Everything seemed to go wrong. But you know what? Deep down in my soul, I know I'm supposed to be here. We can handle flooded basements. We can handle stuff like this as long as we know this is where God wants us to go. Okay, so here it is. One of the symptoms of performance-based Christianity is trying to please men. Trying to please men. So where are you on it? It's important that you learn to walk with God and hear His voice. 